Thank you for being here today and just braving the weather with us. Uh, I do want to welcome our online attenders with us today. It's just going to be a great day. Now, you may or may not know this, but the Winter Olympics are just in a few weeks. How many Olympic fans do we have in the house? Any fans? I love the Olympics because you can get sucked into watching a sport that you've never heard of before until the Olympics come on. How many have ever gotten sucked into watching curling at 1 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. You know, I asked Charity the other day, how does one get into the sport of curling? Like, I've never seen a sign-up sheet. I've never seen that on a bulletin board somewhere. Come get involved in curling, and yet when it's on, we all get sucked into watching curling, you know? Now, the question is, you want to be the guy with the rock that's like, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about? The guy who's pushing, okay, no one's seen curling. This one with the broom? You guys are the broom people, aren't you? Where you're just sitting there and you're like, like this, you know, just going 100 miles an hour. Like, like, how do you get into that sport? And yet we get mesmerized by watching it. And you know one of the reasons why I think it, that is, is because we can instinctively see excellence when it's on display. We might not understand what the sport is. We might not understand what they're trying to accomplish. I've watched hours of curling, and I'm still not completely sure what they're trying to do. But yet I can see that they are operating in a high level of skill and in a high level of excellence, and we can get sucked into that. I'm sure like a lot of you, I'm someone who likes watching professionals do their craft. It's amazing to watch people who know what they're doing to perform a certain task and talent. And that's why the Olympics, I think, are so popular because we don't understand what they're doing, but we're mesmerized by their level of skill. For example, I don't know about you, but you're never going to see me take off running at full speed towards a glorified 4x4 on some sawhorses, hit a springboard, flip off the 4x4, do all these tumbles, flips, and then land on my feet. Like, I don't know what kind of talent that takes to do that, but what I do know is that it takes a lot of devotion and a lot of practice to be able to accomplish that. A few years ago, I listened to a pastor who talked about getting to go to the Olympic training facility up in Colorado Springs. And he said while he was there, he watched this gymnast for four hours practice landing her out of her routine and the position of her foot. The only thing she was concerned about is the position of her foot when she came down for a landing. Now that's amazing to me, but that's what's required if she's going to go to the Olympics. Now, having watched all these different sports, what most of the sports come down to is this. Do they understand their center of balance? If you're, a, if you're a gymnast, it comes down to understanding the center of balance. If you're a figure skater, it comes down to understanding your center of balance. Most of those athletes at the Olympics are so talented and so skilled that what's going to separate them is their gracefulness and their ability to land out of their, their different uh, performances that they do with excellence. And the key to that is knowing their center of balance. If they know their center of balance, then as they perform their routine, it's going to look graceful, and they have a shot at winning the gold. If they do not have their center of balance, then they're ultimately going to fall down, crash, and burn. And so understanding their center is what matters. And all of us have seen different people who have lost their center of balance. A few years ago, Jamie showed us a video of Jake, and it was, their, it was outside of their house. He was getting ready to go to work, and it was a little bit icy in their driveway. And you watch Jake walking outside, and then whoop! 
and he is gone down up underneath the car, and you see him slide out the end. What happened? He lost his center of balance. So when we lose our center of balance, we end up on America's Funniest Home Videos. But when we are good at our center of balance, it's amazing what athletes can accomplish. Now, I start thinking about that in the coming year, and here's the question for you and for me. In Christ, do we understand our center? Do we understand the center of our spiritual walks? Do we understand the center of our lives? Do we know what is going to anchor us down in the coming year? I don't know if you've looked around or not, but the last few years have been turmoil. There's been a lot of turmoil, to say the least. There's been a lot of, there's been a lot of drama going on around the world, particularly in our country, with all the different things that we've faced. And as believers, if we're going to navigate the turmoil of life with any sort of grace and get where we want to go, then we need to understand what our center is in our life. What practices do we need to center ourselves on in this year as a Christian? What spiritual practices need to be the center of our life in 2020 so that we can be spiritually, physically, and emotionally healthy? That is a question that we're going to look at for the next several weeks here in church. And I want to give you three practices that I believe that if you center your life on and we practice these as a church, then not only are we going to be healthy individuals, but we're also going to be a healthy church. Here in my heart, I have no desire to have a big church. Here's what I want. I want a healthy church because a healthy church is made up of healthy people. If you're healthy and your neighbor's healthy and the person down the row is healthy from you, then we're in a healthy church. And what that means is that God is working in us and our our kids are healthy and our marriages are healthy, our lives are healthy, we're on purpose, we're on mission, we're doing what God's called us to do and that's only going to happen when we know what our center is. When we know what our center is in our spiritual life, then the natural life is going to be in order. When our spiritual life is centered, then our physical and emotional life is also going to be in order. When our spiritual life is centered, then we're going to be a witness in this community. When our spiritual life is centered, you're going to see the ramifications of that in every single area of your life. So today, the first practice that we want to do together as a church is we want to center ourselves on the Word of God. This is the anchor point for our lives. This is the anchor for our homes. This is the anchor for our church. If we're going to be in order in a spiritual life, then it's going to start by centering our life on the Word of God. And today, I want to, be, I want to present to you out of Psalms chapter 119, there is an expression that we say here all the time at JFA. We say, We value the Word of God because where the Word speaks, God speaks. You hear me say it a lot, particularly when I start my message. Where the Word speaks, God speaks. We borrowed that from St. Augustine who said that many, many years ago, and there's a lot of truth in that because where this Word starts to speak into our life, God is literally speaking to you and me. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, where the Word speaks, God speaks. There is a truth to that saying that needs to resonate within our hearts because this book is not a product of human culture. It's not a product of human ideas. It transcends every culture and every idea ever come from man because it doesn't come from man. It comes from God. This book is God-breathed. God moved upon the authors to write the infallible Word of God. And in my opinion, the greatest gifts that God ever gave man was salvation, 
given His Spirit and His Word. The problem is it's hard to start separating those three from one another because without the Word, you don't know who God is. And without the Word and the Holy Spirit, you're never going to come to salvation. But without salvation, you're not going to have the Holy Spirit in your life. You need the Word in your life if you are going to be centered. It's painfully obvious that none of us have the hope of salvation. We don't have the hope of the Holy Spirit in our life until we start to dig into the words in this pages within this book and we start to apply this to our life. And Psalms 119 is a key passage in painting the beauty and the value of the Word of God in our life. If you start to study into Psalms 119, it is a wisdom poem that is written in such a way that it covers every letter in the Hebrew alphabet, so basically from A to Z for us, so to speak. And basically what the writer is saying is that we're incapable of using every word in our language to praise God. We just don't have enough adequate words, but what we can do is he's saying, I'm I'm trying to cover all my bases. I'm trying to do everything I can to declare the goodness and the greatness of God of God. And as a wisdom psalm, the writer is basically saying wisdom is manifested in our life through the Word of God. Every single one of us need wisdom at different points in our life. We need wisdom to know how to honor God. We need wisdom when trials come our way. We need wisdom to navigate relationships. We need wisdom to know how to think. We need wisdom in dealing with almost every single situation in our life. There's going to be points in this coming year where you're going to hit a roadblock and you don't know what to do next. How many of you had one of those moments in 2021 in this previous year where you came to a situation or to a season and you did not have the answers to it in the natural? Come on, raise your hands high so we know we're not alone. You know what you see? Almost every single one of us raised our hands. Why? Because life has a way of throwing a curveball at us. And if we're going to navigate life in a way that is smooth, in a way that is honoring to God, then we need His Word as the eternal source of wisdom for our life. And now it's very important to notice the nuance in Psalms 119. The writer's making it very clear when he says the Word, he's talking more than just pages with ink on it. Yes, we understand that this book is compromised of pages with ink on it. And we understand that the first writers took and they had paper and they put ink to the paper. But it's more than just a book. It is the Word of God. It's, as Hebrews says, living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It starts to separate your motives from your actions. It starts to separate what you think from what you do. You can't hide from it. You can't lie to this. This is the truth for our lives. And when you start looking into Psalms 119, you can pick up the nuance that basically the writer's saying, look, when you encounter this Word, you are encountering God. Some people say, well, I haven't heard from God in a while. Then you haven't opened the book in a while. Some say, I don't know if God's giving me any direction in my life. Then we have to start with the book. Because when I encounter this book, then I encounter God. And let me tell you what I know for certain. I don't know what you have going on in life. I don't know what God has in store for you in 2022. I don't know what problems or blessings are going to come your way. But here's what I do know. You're not going to be able to navigate it without the book. You're not going to be able to navigate it unless God is the one that's breathing into it. And how does God breathe? Through his word, because it is God breathed. So if you want to encounter God in this coming year, then you have to start by centering your life on his word. Now, as a church and as individuals, we need to recommit to the devotion of the word of God. We need to peer into the word 
And we need to look at what God has to say to us. We need to peer into the world and be sustained and supplied by the Word of God. We need to peer into the Word so we can be healed and helped by the Father. My prayer is by the end of 2022 that we would say this has been the healthiest year I've ever had as a believer, and it's going to start because we are on the book. Now, I didn't say it might be the easiest year you ever had. I didn't say it might be the most blessed year you ever had, but what I am saying is that it's the healthiest year that you've ever had. Here's what I know about God, that even in the middle of turmoil, He can bring me health. He can bring me spiritual health, brings me physical health, he brings me emotional health, and it starts with the book. Now, Psalms 119 is a very long chapter. If you haven't read it, it is very, very long. And so, for the sake of time today, I cannot read it in its entirety. But I do want to do this. Today, I want to pull out 10 reasons from Psalms 119 why we want to center our life on the Word. Now, when I said 10 reasons, some of you cringe because you're like, I am hungry and I want to go. The donuts are not enough. I promise you... You know what we need? We need biscuits and gravy every Sunday. Yeah, how do we do that? I, woo, come on. We got the crowd excited. You make, true story. I, I, I just got sidetracked. There's times when you're up here and I get sidetracked. This is one of those. We need a segue for just a second. I made homemade butter biscuits two times this week. And I tell you what, they are good. If we had those every morning, that'd be, we'd be amen and extra hard. All right, you need to focus because I'm going to go through these super fast. Because I'm hungry too. First reason why we want to center our life on the Word of God is because the Word positions you for blessing. Verse number one says this, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Have you ever seen somebody driving a compact car and they had a mattress strapped on the roof? Has anybody ever seen that just me? Like that's the, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. It's also one of the dumbest things I've ever seen because a compact car was not designed to haul king-size mattresses on the roof. Now, how many of you, be honest, have ever done that? Anybody in the room? Somebody's done it in this room and you guys are like, Jeff has done it. I knew somebody had done it, right? Why? Because you get in a desperate situation. You say, you know what? I got to do what I got to do. If I have to strap that mattress on the roof, that's what I'm going to do to get it home. And I commend that. However, when you look at the compact car, you realize that it was not meant to haul king-size mattresses. It wasn't designed to do that. And it's comical to look at. And here's what I think happens in our life. The same thing happens in our life from time to time. We are living outside the way that God has designed us, and we look ridiculous in the process. We look, we look foolish. And if we were to be honest, I'm not trying to be insulting because I've done it too. We've all done it where we've lived outside the way that God has designed for our life to be. And we've looked back on it and we're like, that was cringeworthy. I wish I could have done that different. God has designed our life to live a certain way and to operate a certain way. However, sin has sabotaged God's original design for us. And a lot of times we're living in frustration in life, we're living in depression in life, and we're living unfulfilled because we're living outside of the design parameters that God has had for your life and for my life. And what the Word of God does is it brings a playbook to how we were designed. The writer says that we are blessed when our walk is blameless and in the Word of the Lord. So if we have any hope of having blessing in our life, then the first thing we have to do is start ordering our steps to the way that God has 
designed us and created us to live. Now, some of you might be looking at the Word of God and saying, but I can't live up to those standards. I'm glad you made that observation because here's what the Bible also tells us, that in Christ, He is our righteousness. So when we're saved, we are put into the body of Christ, and His righteousness clothes us, and His Spirit indwells us, and that starts a sanctification process where we become more like Jesus every single day. And as we become more like Jesus, then we can live the way he has designed us to, and we can have blessing. Some of us in 2021, we experienced a lot of frustration. We experienced a lot of just anger and angst and, and just a lot of grinding our gears. And we're saying, I want blessing in my life. And it starts by ordering our life to the word of God. The second reason why we want to center our life on the word is because the word keeps our way pure. Verse 9 says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11 also says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What you're putting into your heart and into your soul is ultimately going to produce fruit in your life, both good and bad. A lot of people are experiencing pain and suffering and turmoil and frustration because they're sowing sin and carnality into their heart. They're sowing worldly wisdom and worldly understanding in their heart, and as a result, they're not satisfied. However, what the psalmist says is that he has hidden his word in his heart that he might not sin against God. When the word of God is planted into your heart, it starts to produce a fruit of righteousness out of your life. It's amazing how you start to read the Word of God, how you, what you find entertaining starts to change. As you start to read the Word of God, things that you used to find funny are now not as funny anymore. The desires you used to have start to go away. You don't know how it works, just like you don't understand how you put a seed into the ground and it produces a crop, so too when we plant the Word of God in our heart. We don't understand how it starts to produce righteousness in our hearts but yet it does. We start to have a teachable spirit. We start to desire the things that are God-honoring. We start to move in the direction that God has for our life. Third, the reason why we want to center our life on the Word is because the Word strengthens us in our sorrows. Verse 28 says, My soul melts away from sorrow. Strengthen me according to your Word. Verse 31 says, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. The Word of God starts to melt away our sorrows. Wow, I want you to think about the heaviness of that for a moment. There are times when we come and sorrow starts to grip our hearts. How many of you have you ever been in a season where you had no words to describe the season you're in except, man, this is just a sorrowful season I'm in? Come on. We all get there from time to time. Sorrow starts to melt into our hearts. But here's what we see, is that sorrow cannot overcome the word. How does this happen, you might ask? Well, the psalmist tells us the reason. The word strengthens me in my sorrows because the word shows me the testimony of God. You know, when you start to look at who God is out of Scripture, you start to see the testimonies. And you see people inside of Scripture who also were facing sorrow, and they're facing trial, and they're facing turmoil. And yet there's God in the middle of that mess, and he starts to move on their life. And things start to change. Probably my favorite story in the Bible is where Jesus crosses the lake to go to the demon-possessed man who's living among the tombs. Everybody else had banished him. They had tried to chain him up. They had given up. And yet, 
he, Jesus, crossed a lake in the middle of a storm and he went there for one reason. That was to heal that man and help that man. The rest of the town said, go away. Jesus got back in the boat and went across the lake again. He went for one person. And I think that's so symbolic of what Jesus does in your life and in my life. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again for one reason. That is for you and for me. And if we were it, he still would have done it. But not only does the word show us the testimonies of God, but the word also shows us the character of God. Several weeks ago, I preached in the youth, and I was assigned to preach on the Ten Commandments, and I started telling the youth kids this. I said, yes, the Ten Commandments are a pattern for which God has called us to live, but the Ten Commandments also do something else. The Ten Commandments show you how God intends to treat you and intends to treat me. You see, God is consistent to his word, and so when you start looking at the commandments of God, you can see them as a laundry list of things that you should and shouldn't do, and there is some truth to that. We should live according to the word of God, but when you look at the commandments of God, you also see how God is intending to treat you, because what you see in the Bible is that God is in covenant with his people, and covenant is a two-way relationship, and so when he's saying, I need you to follow this law, he's also saying, I will follow this law when it comes to how I intend to treat you, so he doesn't intend to steal from us, to kill us, to do us wrong, to shame us, to, to guilt us out of things. Instead, he came to rescue us and to set us free. So when I start to look into the word, I see the testimonies of God and the character of God. Fourth reason why we want to center our life on the word is because the word shares the promises of God. Verse 49 and 50 says this, remember your word to your servant in which you have made him hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promises give me life. Earlier, Jake was on this platform and he was saying, I'm going through a trial, but I had this word out of this verse that's resonating with me. And then he read you the, the passage out of James chapter one. Now here's what happened in that moment. Jake found a promise within the word and that promise resonated within his heart and it gave him comfort. And when you start digging into the word of God, what you see is that God has made a lot of promises to you and to me. And he's faithful to fulfill his promises. When Jesus was on the cross, one of the last things he said is, it is finished. What was finished? All the work that he was called to do. And what that teaches us is that God is always going to be faithful to fulfill his promises in your life and in my life. When you start reading through the book of Psalms specifically, you'll see that there's a lot of talk about being delivered from enemies. And that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Do you have any natural enemies? Do I have any natural enemies? The answer is yes, we do have enemies. And you know who that enemy was? That enemy was the devil himself out to steal, kill, and destroy you. But what was Jesus' promise? That you have life and have it to the full. So when you start reading this word and you let those promises start sinking into your heart, you realize that all the bad things that are coming at you in life are ultimately rooted in what the enemy wants to do in your life. But we also realize that God doesn't intend to do bad things to you. He intends to bring you life and life to the fullest. Number five, we want to center our life on the word because the word teaches us wisdom for life. Verse 66 says this, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Verse 98 says, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemy, for it is ever with me. None of us like to appear stupid. Does anybody in this room like to appear stupid? No one raised their hand. You know why? Because nobody wants to appear stupid. 
Have you ever had a conversation, though, and you felt like you were a moron in the middle of the conversation? That was me. I saw, I see DJ over here. Several months ago during the summer, we were having a conversation. We were over having a meal. They were there, and we started talking about uh, computers and stuff. And I said, um, well, you guys know how to put computers together. I said, I want a, a, a machine that will take a video, speed it up, and then play it back normal, but the sound stays the same. Can that be done? Sit around, well, yeah, of course it can be done. I just need a flux capacitor and a Raspberry Pi and, you know, send me, you know, 41 gigawatts and, you know, send it down. That's a Back to the Future reference. No one got it. Um, You know, we can make that thing happen. And I went and I told Charity afterwards, I said, there's been very few conversations I have been in where I have felt like a complete and utter moron lately, but I have no idea what DJ just said I need to do in order to make this thing. I felt ignorant in that conversation. Now, I don't intend to be rude, but you and I have to be self-aware enough to realize something. When we came out of the womb, we were ignorant to the spiritual things that God has for our life. We were not wise in the ways of the Word of God. This is why coming out of the womb, what we're really good at is doing the things of the world. This is why one of the very first things you have to do with children is you have to teach them the word no and what that means. I remember when Knox, he just started crawling. And you instantly see that as a little child, rebellion is rooted in our hearts. Knox, he crawled over there. We had TV with a surround sound, and he started touching the button on the front. And I thought, man, I'm going to put my foot down, big bad dad. I said, Knox, do not touch that surround sound. You know what he did? He was like, yeah, touch it again. So I was like, well, I'll show a little grace. I mean, he's only a year and a half. Knox, I'm being serious. Do not touch that. <laughs> touches it again you know so I'm telling him no and so anyways I was like this is the perfect opportunity to teach him about capital punishment and corporal punishment not capital punishment corporal punishment (laughs) capital punishment yeah we're pretty serious at our house you touch stuff we're like Texas fast lane and you know what happened nothing worked I called my dad and I said dad here's what happened you could hear my dad just being a little bit judgmental over the phone. He's like, well, yeah, you know, whatever. Well, that summer, he went and stayed with them. My dad calls me. He said, oh, man, you're in trouble. That boy, he don't listen. He's hard-headed. He's like your grandma, you know. Anyways, I hope they're watching so they hear all this. Here's the point. This is rooted in our hearts. And Knox is a great kid, just like your kids are great, just like you were. Great by what standard, though? Standard of the world. We start looking, all of us are going to sin sooner or later, and we're not wise to the things of God. And what we know is that when we do those things, it ultimately pays in dividends in our life that are not good. So if we want to honor Christ with our life, then there needs to be a rewiring, a rethinking our life. We need to have true wisdom being implanted in our hearts. And what we see as we start to read through this word, that God's ways are better than our ways. If you want wisdom, start looking in the Proverbs. If you think about the teaching of Jesus, you talk about just a fountain of knowledge. You want to see how to live out a lifestyle that honors Christ, and you start digging into the writings of Paul. You know, the reality is on the battlefield, if two, if two armies are equal in strength and ability, the one that's going to win is ultimately the one that's smarter and has a better strategy. And what the psalm is telling us is that it makes us wiser than our enemy. We know the enemy is coming after us, but when we implant this word into our heart, we are wiser than the works of the enemy in our life, and we can prevail. So let's recap. 
The word positions us for blessing. The word keeps our way pure. The word strengthens us in our sorrow. The word shares the promises of God. The word teaches us how to be wise. Turn to your neighbor and say, good Lord, he's only halfway done. I'm going to go super fast. I said that once, and now you're not going to believe me. You're thinking I'm lying to you. The word turns our hearts towards heaven. Verse 81 and 82 says, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long to see your promises. I ask, when will they comfort me? One of the greatest blessings of the word is that it is a roadmap to our eternal dwelling. Let me tell you something. I have no promises for you here on this earth. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know what tragedies you may face. I don't know what blessings may come down the road. There's nothing I will tell you or guarantee about tomorrow for you while you're on this earth. But here's what I do know is I've read the end of the book and I know what heaven looks like. And heaven is an amazing place and we start digging into this and our hearts get turned to heaven then we know that at the end of the day God has something special for us we just need to hold on and wait for it to come our way we want to center our life on the word because number seven by God's word the world is ordered and ordained verse 89 through 91 says this forever O Lord your word is firmly fixed in the heavens your faithfulness endures to all generations you have established the earth and it stands fast by by your appointment they stand this day and all things are your servants. You know what this is telling me? It's telling me this, that by God's word, everything that we see is ordered and sustained. And if you want something solid to stand on in life, then you need to stand on the word of God. Jesus said that the wind and the waves are coming, but the man who built his house on the rock, his word, his teaching is the one that's going to endure. And what we need to see is that there is no random molecule in this universe that can get outside of what God's word says for you and for me and for for what is going to happen. And when we put our faith in this word, it is faithful and it is true, and it will not move us no matter what comes our way. Number eight, the word is a lamp to our feet and a guide to our path. Verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet, and it is a light to my path. Have you ever been walking through the house in the dark and you ran into something? Right? It happens almost every morning. We have these funky doors going into our bedroom, and Charity's asleep, and I'm trying to get up, and so I'm trying to sneak out, and I think I know the way to go, and I run into the door almost every morning. You know why? Because I can't see where I'm at. Now, to my defense, she makes this obstacle course. There's a fan sitting right next to the bed, and the cord's there, so I mean, it's, you know, I mean, you know, you, you sit there, you look like, you know, Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. You're like, you know, to get out of there, you know, one of these deals. So give me a little slack. But you know what make it easier? If I had a headlamp, you know, that's what I need to start doing. I need to start putting my headlamp by the door. And now there, you know what I mean? Why? Because when I don't have light, I can't see where I'm going. Now what this word doesn't do is it doesn't tell you what's going to happen five years from now. It doesn't happen, tell you what's going to happen ten years from now. What is, a, what, is, what is a light where I stand and the light to my path? Your word is a lamp to my feet. I know exactly where I'm at. And I know I'm staying on the promises of God. It's also a light to my path. I can't see two miles up the road, but I can see what my next step is. And when you read this word, it tells you what your next step is. You're fighting with your spouse. What's the next step? Go get restitution with them. You know what? I'm in my financial distress. What do I need to do? I need to start tithing. You know, there's a tension between me and someone else. What do I need to do? I need to go say, I'm sorry. I don't know what to do next. What, do I, what should I worry about? What's God's will for my life? 
God's will for my life is that I'm sanctified and I look like him. You start seeing what your next step is when you look at the word. Number nine, the word is my heritage. Verse 111 says this, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. The word is a heritage that brings joy to your hearts. Many of you have fond family traditions. I was looking on Facebook over the last several weeks as you guys are celebrating Christmas, and some of you have some really cool traditions that are heritages in your family that you've been doing for generations. This word is a heritage to us because within this, there are people that are our brothers and sisters in Christ who have died to protect this book. We were cleaning the church this last week, and we were trying to clean the closet upstairs. We have a bunch of stuff, and we found an old Bible. It was, it was nothing special. And I told him, I said, man, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't just give the, you know, can't throw this in the trash or anything like that. And I said, here's why. Because there are people in China right now that are dying for this thing. And we might have 50 of them sitting around that we've collected because people have left over the years at the church. But I just can't toss them aside because this is a heritage for me. And some of us struggle just to maintain our faith in Christ. And one of the best ways for you to find some strength is to do what Hebrews says. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. You start looking in the testament of this book of what people have done to honor Christ. And you start looking through the annals of history. You'll see that people have lived for Jesus and what God has done through them. We want to center our life on the Word because, number 10, the Word changes our perspective and it teaches us to praise Verse 161 through 164 says this, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and adore falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Verse 171, my lips Pour out praise, for you teach me your statues. When I look into the Word of God, I see everything that He's done. In the middle of my low, it changes my perspective, and my sorrow turns to praise. My bitterness turns to joy. My angst turns to worship. Why? Because when I look at everything God has done, and I see what He's done for me, and I read His love letter to my life, it changes my perspective, and it brings praise. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. Now, I just took 30 minutes and told you 10 blessings, 10 things that come out of the Word that are amazing. The Word positions you for blessing. It keeps your way pure. It strengthens you in sorrows. It shares the promises of God. It teaches you wisdom. The Word turns your heart to heaven. The word, by the Word, the world is ordered and ordained. It is a lamp to your feet and a, light to, a guide to your path. The Word is your heritage, and the Word changes your perspective and brings you to a place of praise. Those are 10 points. That I would say if I took a poll today, every one of us say, you know what? I need those 10 things in my life. I need those things in my life. I need those things in my life. I know 10 points is a lot in a sermon, and I never preach like that. But here's what I was wanting to do today. I was wanting to paint a picture for how important the Word of God is in our life. You know, as a pastor, there's so many things that I cannot do to help you. In fact, if we started putting a, a, a list together of all the things that a pastor can do to help a person, the list is so small that it would be embarrassing to show you. But here's what I know, is when the Word of God is implanted in your heart, there is a fruit that you can't even begin to describe. And it works in our hearts in ways that I can't even begin to tell you. Just as I said a moment ago, Jesus said, the wise man builds his house on the rock. He said that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. 
when he give, gave what? His word. Here's what I know. The wind and the waves are going to come in 2022. And they're going to come in 2023. And they're going to come in 2024. And they're going to come until Jesus comes back. But here's what I also know. When our life is built on the rock, we don't have to fear the wind and the waves. We don't have to fear the things that life throws at us. Why? Because we have a mountain of blessing. Those 10 things are just 10 things I pointed out. We could do that all day long that come from the word. Those are things that we need. Now, be honest with yourself this morning. How different would your life be if the reality of those 10 truths were present in your life? It'd be way more beneficial than any self-help book, any motivational speaker, any conference that you could attend. I doubt that there are any of us in this room this morning that don't recognize the value of the word of God. I doubt that there are few of us in this room that don't have a desire to devote themselves to the Word of God. The rub is, a lot of times, we don't, we don't know how to center our life on the Word. We, we don't understand it when we read it. We, 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 we struggle to make time for it. We, we don't even know where to start. We see the value in the Word, but we don't see the practicalness of the Word. We don't, we don't know how to apply it. So how do we start to center our life on the Word? Well, there's a few things I think that really help us when we start to try to understand the Word. There's a few best practices. If I, if I just gave you a list of 10 things that, that show you the spiritual truth of the words, let me, let me just give you three, three things to tell you real fast uh, as far as practices. The Word is best understood when you understand it in context. See, a lot of times, and Charity, you, you could ask Charity about this. She, for a lot of years, she said, I, I just don't understand it. And several years ago, she started making a, a habit where she would read the, the, the whole, whole books at a time. She made it a goal to read the whole Bible, and she would listen to it off of her phone. And it was amazing all the things. She used to come with questions, and now she comes with observations. Why? Because she's seen it in context. We wouldn't go pick up a secular novel and open it to the middle of the book and start reading and expect to understand it. So we, we have to read this in context. The, the Bible has laid out 66 books by 40 different authors that has been spoken over about 1,500 years. The Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. The New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are the Gospels, eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. The book of Acts is the first church and what they did. All the books after that are explaining the teachings of Jesus. Revelation just showing how to wrap it up. So if we want to understand the life of Jesus, then we have to start reading this in context because context helps us. Now, I don't want to, I don't want to say that it's a bad thing, but sometimes that's where devotionals actually hurt us more than they help us. A lot of people come ask me, they say, hey, what's your favorite devotional? I don't have a devotional. Here's why. Because a lot of times devotionals are picking different verses and we never see everything in context. I prefer to read a book at a time, even if it's one chapter a day, because it helps bring understanding to what's actually being said. Another practical step that you can take is the word is best applied in community. We do what's called the deep dive on Wednesday nights. If you haven't been there, you should be there at seven o'clock on Wednesday nights in the cafe. And we walk through a book of the Bible. We're going to start the book of Revelation this week. Read a chapter, do a little teaching, and then we have discussion. What's amazing is all the truth that comes out of that room because God, the word is living and active and God speaks to individual hearts and people will say stuff. I'm like, man, that is really good. 
here's what we understand. When I read the word in community with other believers who love Jesus, I learn from them. I glean from them. And they also keep me from going into the weeds. I've said this before. If I ever hear a preacher say, I'm about to preach something to you you've never heard before, I'm like, I'm out. You know why? Because this book is 2,000 years old. And if you're the first person that has ever seen it, it's probably not true. Third, the word is best solidified in repetition. Meaning, I don't just understand when I read it once. I read it over and over and over again. Then it starts to make sense to my life. Now, I've showed you 10 values for the word. I've shown you three best practices. What's the takeaway for this? As we were praying going into 2022, we were talking about just some, some simple things, if you will, some spiritual practices that would make us healthier. We, we have a lot of church organizational leadership stuff. That's why you need to be here at the business meeting so you understand some of the big stuff that we're trying to do. But here's what I told them. I was like, I don't want big, I want healthy Christians. I want to be healthy. I want you to be healthy. And it starts when we center our life on the Word of God. So we're going to do a challenge and an initiative as a church. It's the five by five challenge. You might have seen these on the table when you walked in. There's going to be a slide on the screen right behind me here in just a moment. But here's the, here is the challenge for us as a church this year. We want to read one chapter a day. It takes about five minutes, five times a week five chapters a week. So if I spend five minutes over five days, I read five chapters in a week. And if I do that, and we start in the New Testament, by the end of the year, you've read the entire New Testament in one year. And that would be pretty cool, I thought. And what would be even cooler, though, is if we did it together. So here's how this is going to work. Every Monday, you're see on our Facebook page, there's going to be a post. And on that post, there's going to be the week's readings for that coming week. And at the end of that week, on Friday, there's going to be a video from one of our church leaders kind of recapping either one point from those readings or all five chapters. It's, up, it's, it's their choice based upon the readings of what they do. And then we're going to ask you to comment and just share things that you've seen without it. Now, there's multiple ways in which you can do that. There's a QR code on the screen, and if you scan that QR code, it's going to take you to the YouVersion Bible app, and in the YouVersion Bible app, there's going to be a reading plan. If you start that reading plan with us this week, you will be on track to be done uh, to follow along with us. Or if you're like me, I don't read my Bible off of my phone. I read, I like a physical copy of it. We have printed ones out in the foyer that you can grab this and follow along, or you can even scan the QR code and follow it that way. Or you can just look on Facebook. Basically, the long or the short of it is there's lots of ways for you to keep up with us. But here's the beautiful thing of it. Five minutes a day, five days a week, Monday through Friday. And if you miss a day, you got Saturday and Sunday to make up. Here's what I know. I just gave you 10 amazing blessings about the Word of God. And you need that in your life. I need that in my life. We need it as a church. We need to be centered.